When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Flicked it away. That's a great shot. That will go for four. And now he is within touching distance. Right then, here we go. <laughs> 621 for six. And Brennan McCullum is on 298. Well, that uh, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up a wee bit. Not so much the commentary, but the event. Um, it was amazing, wasn't it? Brendan McCullum uh, being the first to ever bring up uh, 300. It's nine years ago. Um, uh, it was nine years ago on February the 18th, so just a, a day or so ago when uh, he made history by becoming the first and only black cap to reach 300. In an innings, that uh, iconic moment took place, of course, at the Basin Reserve, where he will now return to as, yes, the England Test coach. Uh, Baz recently sat down with uh, Mike Hesson. Uh, you can catch the full interview on demand via Sky Sport now if you like, or just uh, look for a replay on Sky's TV guide. But here is a selection of our favourite clips, starting with Baz on calling time on his playing career. So I'm actually going to start, um, I'm going to start at the end of the playing side of things. And, and I remember a, an initial discussion we had in a hotel in Perth where you sort of called me over and, and told me that you'd sort of had enough and you were going to call time on your career. And after about 15 seconds of trying to convince you, I realised that I was going to get no luck. <laughs> so do you want to just talk us through what you were feeling at that stage? Yeah, I guess um, I remember the, the conversation quite vividly as well. I think I think if we kind of go back a few steps, like, as you're well aware, my style of leadership was quite consuming and I sort of knew that I wouldn't be doing it for a long period of time. I'd sort of pour my heart and soul into it and really immerse myself in not just the environment but also the, the guys within the team's lives as well and, and really sort of invest in it. So I knew that it was it was never going to be a long um, run at it. Um, so I sort of was always slightly aware that at some stage there'd be a time which that had kind of hit me that, that there might be, the team would need a different direction and, and I think, you know, I'd, I think I got the timing makes it quite, quite good in the end, I think, because not only was I kind of running out of steam as well um, but also I think the team was ready for a different direction which was Kane and, and you know what we've seen from the New Zealand team since uh, I left is, is that layer of consistency come about and that's you know very much in Kane's leadership model and, and the guys around him and I think they all grew um, when, uh, when Kane took over so I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good decision, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't that keen on it at the time, but um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there was a, a different phase, isn't there, when people come in and, and they need to take over and take some more responsibility. So, yeah, look, it was a good time. It was just heading up to that 2016 World Cup. There was a fairly big transition of players. So, um, And the boys seemed to front up 
pretty well there. Did you have any idea at the time around what you, what was next for you? No, not really. And, you know, what I'm like here, it's just not really my style either. You know, you kind of just, in my opinion, you just immerse yourself in whatever it is and, and you give all of yourself to that, what that task is. And, and I wasn't too worried. Certainly wasn't going to try and protect anything by hanging in there too long. I just wanted to see where it got to. I, I thought I might step out of the game for a little while. Um, but it's funny when you're out of it, how quickly you, you miss it as well. And it's not even the, the cricket itself, it's the relationships and the people and the, um, the camaraderie which you, you kind of, um, that you get while playing in, in a team sport. And, um, you know, I've been very lucky that since I did leave the New Zealand side, um, I've still been able to play in franchise cricket around the world, coach in franchise cricket, commentate, um, be a part of uh, not just TV but also radio and now obviously into the job here at England. So um, it's been a, a really cool transition. Um, each of those jobs I've taken on, I feel like I've, I've given myself to those jobs as well. Not all of them have worked, um, which is okay as well. Um, but I'm certainly enjoying the one that I've got now. Mm, absolutely. And uh, of course we're listening to uh, Brenna McCallum talking to Mike Hesson, uh, Mike Hesson, the interviewer. We used to be Mike Hesson, the coach of Brenna McCallum, the captain, and uh, uh, how uh, roles can quickly change within the game. Um, so that was uh, Brenna McCallum and uh, finishing up with his New Zealand career. He mentioned right at the end, of course, uh, that he's got a new role, uh, and that is uh, coaching England. And uh, these are his uh, thoughts on that. As I said, doing a bit of radio, doing a bit of commentary, doing a bit of coaching in the IPL. And then you, you decided to, to give this coaching gig a decent crack um, in terms of take it on full time what was the what was your motivation uh well probably because it's a hard I mean, coaching can be quite challenging at times yeah it is I mean you know what I'm like yes I love people you know there's sort of I love seeing people being able to achieve things which they initially had dreams of and then sometimes it's, those dreams are kind of whittled down a little bit because of pressures and anxieties and failures and and sometimes environments as well. So what I love about being a coach is the ability to free guys up to be able to create an environment where you, you just remind them of those initial dreams and aspirations you had and you try and work out how do you how do you play a small part in being able to continue to give them the freedom and the confidence um, and the consistency of message to get them to be better than what maybe or to, to achieve what they initially set out to achieve. So that's why I got into it. Um, I didn't, I don't get into it necessarily for winning or losing. Obviously, winning is great, and and ultimately we we gauged uh, we're judged on whether we win or whether we lose. But I genuinely, it doesn't bother me whether if we win or we lose. It's for me. Don't get me wrong. I still smoke a cigar and have a red wine after a test match win. But for me, it's the it's are we able to are we able to free ourselves up enough to handle the pressures to handle all of the external noise and things and to handle the self-doubt to still go out there and have a crack. If we are and we get beat, sweet as. If we, you know, if we don't do that, then that's to me where I've failed somewhere along the line. So that's kind of my assessment of, well, my self-judgment of myself as a coach is very much geared around that. Is if we're not able to free someone up, then that's our problem, not, not so much theirs. Oh, I kind of think you'd have a red wine and a cigar if they lost. Brenna McCullum, be perfectly honest. I, I think it's just not a winning thing. It's a Brenna McCullum thing. So uh, that uh, was interesting with his uh, thoughts there on win, or winning or losing. Uh, wouldn't it be great to, to have that kind of attitude 
um, as any coach. Be a one that Ian Foster wouldn't mind that kind of liberty, would he? Ah, right. Okay, Baz. Uh, we heard about the we heard the commentary uh, from the uh, three hundred um, just a moment or two ago. Um, what about his thoughts on achieving that wonderful milestone? Well, I know James Neesham got his debut 100 that, so everyone will remember that test match. Yeah, definitely. But you got 300, and you're not a, I wouldn't say you're an emotional guy, and I'm not going to say brought tears to your eyes, but, you know, it was a pretty special time um, when you reached 300. Can you just just talk us through your, yeah, your, I guess your emotions or what was going through your head at that time? Yeah, it was really bizarre. Look, it's something I'll never forget, honestly, the, the what was it? It felt like, it, was, it felt like five minutes, it was probably... 90 seconds where the entire crowd stood up and they were applauding and literally wouldn't sit down. Um, kind of really kind of dawned on me, or not just then actually, it dawned on me beforehand, but that was the moment where I sort of felt just a massive amount of relief. <laughs> you kind of didn't let anyone down. Um, obviously you're proud of what you achieved, but um, it was more that you didn't let anyone down. Um, it's funny because I wonder if, you know, if you had your time again, would you have done anything differently? I, I don't know if I would. I was so exhausted from the time that it took to to get those runs and partnerships that we were able to create but you know, i just remember that i sort of i realized this is quite a big big deal you know sort of and when you achieve big deal sort of items in test cricket that means a lot to a lot of people so yeah i'm just pleased i didn't let anyone down <laughs> <laughs> Smithy, I love almost the kind of humbleness there with Baz, how he doesn't want to let anyone down. You called that moment in history nine years ago. You almost kind of mm. hear it in your own voice. I know we talk about the commentator's curse. What was going through your mind in that moment when he was a couple of runs shy of that 300? Well, it's lots of things, actually, to be honest, because we sat on it uh, overnight. It was, um, I think, going into a Monday morning. Um, so a lot of things. Uh, first of all, what struck me is going to the ground and, f and looking at the lines of people outside. This is a test match that really wasn't going anywhere. Um, but uh, there were lines and lines of people who clearly had taken a little bit of time off work because they were dressed that way. There were men in suits, there were women who were dressed in work clothes, etc., as opposed to sitting on the bank clothes. Um, and I, I think that's where it first struck a lot of us, that just how much it meant. And I mean... Just prior to um, the first ball being bowled, they were still queuing out the gates. They uh, can't remember whether they charged them to get in. I think they did, but they were prepared to pay to watch a bit of history. It wasn't a guarantee he was going to make it. So that was point one. Uh, point two uh, was that I'd lived through this with Martin Crow. remember? Martin Crow out for 299. Um, and we'd, we'd, all, we'd been through this, and uh, we, it was almost a, an air of surety that he was going to get it, and bang, out, 299 in the most unlikely way. Uh, to the most unlikely bowler. And so I thought, no, surely this can't happen again. It's no one uh, in New Zealand cricket had achieved it. We, we begin to wonder if anyone ever would. Um, and here we sit on this opportunity again. Three, I knew Brendan um, as uh, a player. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to know him a, a little bit socially as well. So sort of appreciate that a little bit more than you would someone that you don't know. Um, and four, I was trying to think, well, if this comes up, how are you going to mark it as a commentator? And when we got to the ground, uh, I was not rostered on in that first half hour. Uh, it didn't take, it took me a, long, a little longer than half an hour to get it, so I wasn't rostered on. So I, I didn't think I was going to call it. So you sort of caught, caught by surprise. And um, 
So sure enough, uh, we get it in our little uh, stint. And I think from memory, uh, he's always a, he's a little fella. He's a little Kiwi battler, a little guy. You know, and I always thought, you know, uh, the word little hat would have to come into it somewhere. Um, and uh, I, I just don't, it just it just comes out. Sometimes it comes out, and you feel like a complete and utter idiot. Uh, sometimes it comes out and it sort of fits okay and once or twice it's managed I've been lucky that it's happened to do that but and to be perfectly honest you don't I've no I've no scripts no script when I when I uh, have a commentary as such as that what I do remember is though uh, we commentated that standing uh, so when you stand commentating and you're not sitting down just looking out the window with a date ball by ball sort of thing we're actually standing it's like we were almost, and then the, the commentary box erupted into applause. You, you might have heard it in the background. There were people in the background, and the commentary box at the base is quite big, so there were quite a lot of people uh, floating around, probably 10, 15, 20 people in the commentary box. Um, and so there, it actually burst into applause, so you get a little bit of live atmosphere in the commentary box as opposed to just out the window. And then all those beautiful shots came in from the, the Sky Camera people of, the reaction around a pretty chock basin reserve, chocker basin reserve, um, special mate, absolutely special, and uh, beautifully relived there by Brendan. Beautifully relived by you too, mate. Enjoyed listening to that. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, that's what that morning unfolded like, and then we uh, all went back to work, as they say. <laughs> Some of us uh, carried on commentating, and the rest went back to the office. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Ten forty-five here on SENZ.